Hello everybody, I hope you're all doing well. Welcome back to another episode of Blockchain and Beyond. As always, I'm your host Frazan. On today's episode, I'm joined by two awesome people from a project called Dropchain who have the very ambitious goal of onboarding uh, many, many people to, to, to Web3. And being in the space for a while, I can tell that is a very difficult task, but hopefully these guys are gonna make all the difference. So I would like to introduce Nate and Carter to the show. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name Thanks is Carter Zink. Yeah, uh, my name is Carter Zink. I'm the CEO of Dropchain. Um, I've been in Web3 for a bit over seven years now, and you know I've kind of seen what it takes to make a project. And I guess something that Nate and I have, have both worked on together and, and noticed is challenging is you know uh, building in Web3 is way too hard, right? So the learning curve, even for someone who's you know, knows how to build products is, is, is super tough. Um, and on the flip side, you know, getting our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles to start using Web3, uh, you know, I have a ledger right here. That's, uh, I, I tried getting my mom to use a ledger and she basically uh, uh, technically illiterate. And I mean that in the nicest way possible, just because it's so complex. And so Nate and I are kind of here trying to solve that issue. How's it going? Uh, I am the less technical side of the half. Um, Nate Nathaniel Thorson. Um, I'm leading the branding and marketing and sales kind of side of Dropchain. Um, and as Carter mentioned, we and Farzan, you mentioned at the top of the show that we are we're looking to onboard the next one million uh, Web three builders and the next billion Web three users. Um, so so we're doing that by trying to make Web three as accessible to as possible for. For both the developers and users so happy to be here thank you for having us awesome yeah, great i think that was that was a pretty good good introduction um so you 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 mentioned this this offer but i want to understand a bit more about your guys' background um so so you mentioned that you you both know each other from like middle school or like even like earlier yeah, well, and, and Nate, you can kind of hit on this as well. But yeah, we, we went to the same high school together. And, and, and uh, you know, I think, I don't know, Nate, when did you get into Web3? I, I was kind of early, but. Yeah, you were earlier than me. I got into it in 2017, which would have been like yeah. my uh, sophomore year of college, something <laughs> mm -hmm. like that. Um, yep. Yeah, I originally got into it by Steemit, uh, if you guys remember that. It was like the. It was like a decentralized blog type of thing where the more likes and comments your posts get, the more uh, the more uh, crypto you want from it. The economics of it were absolutely awful, and I had nothing but lost money on it um, and a ton of lost time. But that's was kind of my intro. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of dabbled. I got started with with uh, mining. Actually, it's kind of like Reddit. Steam It was like Reddit, except you could get paid for the content you create basically um and you get tipped and all that fun stuff um, i was actually on reddit and then i got some dogecoin tipped to me and then i kind of went down the rabbit hole of wait you can let your computer run and then you get this weird money that's worth actual money but isn't physical and then i you know bitcoin mining ethereum mining and then i realized you know wait we could build something in this and i feel like that's almost better than trying to trade these ponzi coins mm -hmm. as much as it is fun <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, I think, you know, I think I kind of got into Web3. It was like, when I first heard about Bitcoin was probably like 2013, 2014, like super early. But at the same time, you know, that was almost 10 years ago. So I would have been like, what, 14? So I, I kind of, I kind of, you know, read it. I didn't really understand where it was. I was like, okay, cool. All right. What do I do with, with it now? And, you know, I wasn't at 
you know, the stage where, you know, I had money to actually buy Bitcoin. It wasn't anything that I could actually experiment with. Um, so I kind of just left it on, on, on the sidelines. And then I think I picked it back up in uh, 20, 2015, 2016, when I wanted to write a paper for for, for school. Um, and it was about, you know, using Bitcoin uh, as a as a means of exchange or if it's if it's economically viable. And I think since then, my viewpoint has completely flipped on, on what it is and what it can do. Um, but I think that was sort of my introduction. And then it was sort of from 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 those those days where I kind of built up my own knowledge. It was very much a slow process, but it's been, especially in the past, I would say like three years where I've kind of gone a lot, you know, harder into it. Um, so so that that's what sort of brought me here. Yeah. yeah, well, I will say like in, in my experience, so I've been through the, I, I, I kind of call it like DeFi winter, which mm -hmm. was 2016, right before 2017 happened. There was a lot of innovation on the Ethereum blockchain on L1, right? So yeah. like this, this is back when fees didn't actually matter as much. Mm -hmm. And then everything happened and now fees are, you know, your kidney and yeah. really drive your car because you can't afford um, the gas in your car because you paid gas on Ethereum. Uh, and, and back then it was, it was super crazy Then I, you know, the crazy bull market, and then it had a crazy bear market, which was zero. Everyone left. Twitter was basically non-existent in terms of crypto Twitter activity during that time. Then everyone came back again and now we're in a bear market. And I will say in the past couple of years, even now our bear market activity within crypto Twitter is significantly higher than it was in 2018, 19. Uh, which is super exciting to me. Uh, I'm hopeful, more hopeful than I was back then. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. You know, the, the biggest thing I've seen is how many projects are still building. And, you know, there's <laughs> projects which are which are shipping, you know, every day, even you, as you know, you're, you're still constantly building. And I think it just goes to show how much more faith there is in, in the whole, like, te technology space about blockchain and crypto, um, which is which is quite promising, which hopefully says a lot for, you know, the, the next, the next uh, bull market. Um, so I want to kind of jump into what you guys are doing. So what's the premise behind Dropchain and what are you guys doing? Yeah, so the, the, we start with the problem. Um, the problem is twofold. The first side of it is that building in Web3 is far too difficult. As we kind of just talked about, we go through these boom and bust cycles of not only the, the valuation of cryptos, but also the activity on the blockchain of people actually building uh, within the space. And we go through these boom and bust cycles of people building on the blockchain. Um, and a huge part of that is uh, hype marketing of people just getting super excited about it and then they kind of fade away. Um, but the bigger side of it is that it is just super intimidating for people to get into the space. So even if you're a Web2 developer, which I'm not, I took like six months to try to learn how to code and I realized that I absolutely hated it. But uh, even if you're a Web2 developer, from my understanding, uh, the, the gap between Web2 development and Web3 development is absolutely huge. Even if you know how to create a web two application uh to the nines you still have to get into a whole nother world of smart contracts security tokenomics um nodes everything like that that uh web three is unique uh, in that sense to web two so the first problem is is that just building within web three is far too difficult uh for for web three developers the second side of it is that web two or web three is just way too hard to use if you're a uh, if you're a crypto native like we are, you've probably you know been able to do it 
you know, relatively easily because we have practice with it. But hand it to uh, any of your friends or your parents or anything like that who don't have the experience. They're going to be left out of this huge, massive shift into decentralization, which we see as inevitable, is so many people are going to be left behind just because they don't know how to interface with these products. So that is where Dropchain comes in. We make it easier to develop Web3 applications and use them. So both the developer and the user side of things. And that's what's driving us every day uh, when we build Dropchain. Yeah. And I'll kind of hit on that last point too, right? So like I I, I kind of, there's, there's definitely an, uh, a sort of aura of purity around the idea of decentralization. And hey, I'm a big proponent of decentralization myself. I run nodes, uh, I support, you know, self-custody. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I kind of describe the state of Web3 as being like an inbox. I've used this example a million times, but like, like an inbox where you open up the wrong email and then your entire email inbox is just deleted, right? That's where we're at with Web3 today. And when you try to convince your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, your friends to start adopting blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, you know, Web3 tech, they see these things happen and they're like, hey, I'm okay. I'm all right. And the, 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 the alternative to not using Web3 is to just not use Web3, right? You, you, you have to take the risk by self-custody or, or you just don't use uh, and don't participate in um, this technology that's sort of changing the way we look at digital ownership and, and just ownership in general. And so, you know, kind of Nate and I have the pr perspective of, you know, there's a place for decentralization, but if we're going to onboard you know, we're going to be a Facebook, we're going to be Instagram, we're going to be these massive adoption angles for Web3, in the same way we had it with Web2 and Web1 to an extent, there needs to be some concessions. And that kind of comes around to, you know, how do we make it easy to start adopting this technology? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm with you there. And, you know, I think I see, I can see the parallels with going from Web2 to Web3 with someone like my dad and, and some of his friends, right? They've, they've just about set up a Coinbase account, which is, you know, easy enough. And they've set up a Coinbase wallet. <laughs> yep. And, you know, because they, they also have a degree or that they want to, you know, self-custody, you know, their, their assets. So so they've managed to set up that. But, you know, if I was to, to introduce them to, you know, decentralized apps and say, you know, you know, you can do this using this app, you know, they're going to enter the world of, you know, transaction fees and, you know, what if my transaction fails and explaining all of these things where it's, it's very hard for them to, to you know, uh, uh, understand it and you know i i can see i can see how it's difficult as you know what i'll i'll call myself crypto native as well and i think it's something that we've seen before as well you know so my grandparents don't use the internet they don't even have like mobile phones right they they have the most simplest mobile phone you can do which you can call and text on and, and that's about it because they don't want to learn and they don't have you know there's not that opportunity for them to actually you know streamline that process of learning it so I think, you know, what, what you guys are looking to do sort of sort of completes a lot of parallels that we've seen with, I would say, each new each new generation has its own thing. And and it's it's sad, but some people do get left behind and without, you know, trying to to make it easy for people to to use these services, you know, a lot of people will just be left behind or they'll be forced to use, you know, what I would consider subpar uh, alternatives, you know, most most custodial services don't offer you access to dApps, 
which is, you know, a, a big thing if you want to get into to Web3. If anything, they kind of do it like through a proxy. They'll say, you know, we'll just deposit, we'll pay you some APR, but then you get all of the risks associated with using, you know, a centralized uh, platform. So I think it, it's quite an, an honorable uh, goal to, to help, you know, onboard all of these people and make it easy for, for people who are interested to actually come and learn and, and build things on, on Web3. Yeah, one, I completely agree with you. And I think that in, an interesting thing is that we can look back at history, very recent history, and see the similar pattern. Uh, there's obviously the saying that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Um, and this isn't specific in Web3 at all. I mean, look back to like 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, there was a huge economic shift where obviously the Great Recession happened, thanks to the cronies on wall street um and then all of that happened and then there was a huge technological boom with the iphone and the iphone uh was spurred on spurred this economic and technological movement uh and enabled the huge companies that we know of today uh through the new smartphone technology so i mean if you look back in like the 1990s there were a, a dozen uh, grocery delivery services that sprung up and failed within the startup ecosystem because they didn't have the infrastructure. The iPhone changed that. And now we have Instacart, we have Uber, Airbnb, all because the uh, smartphone revolution allowed that technology to um, mature and and gain uh, access within, you know, gain mass adoption uh, within the masses. In a similar vein within Web3, I think we obviously had the first iteration of it. Um, I mean, we've gone through a number of boom and bust cycles with it. But now I think that we're at the stage where people are starting to see the uh, the use case for Web3. And people are they want to use it not for the novelty of using blockchain products, but they want to use them because they're actually useful. Um, and I think in order for that mass adoption to really reach the point where everybody is using it, you need something like drop chain to make it easier. Um, in the same way that in, in the 90s, if you wanted to build a website, it was HTML, CSS. Um, now you can build anything in minutes with Webflow, Wix, whatever. Uh, the same thing needs to happen in Web3. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I'll kind of hit on that too, right? So like specifically, we kind of see this as a bifurcated issue. There's two sides of this that needs to be solved. And in my opinion, in Nate and I's opinion, really, it has to be solved at the same time. Uh, the first side is with infrastructure, we need to provide builders and creators a way to build and create more easily and more quickly. You know, we look at the way we build in Web2 and it's super fast because we have 15 years of optimization, 20 years of optimization, depending on how you want to look at it, right? And so these processes are native to Web2 companies. But when you go to Web3, it's all sort of like, you know, throw, throw shit at a wall and hope it sticks kind of thing. And it's not consistent at all. Uh, and so in our, in our sense, we want to sort of utilize the existing Web2 architecture, Web2 infrastructure through, uh, you know, we talked about this with Wix, with Bubble, these no-code uh, tools. We basically allow uh, our developers to use these tools as well as conventional, you know, uh, Web2 paradigms like Reactor, Angular, or whatever front end you want to build on. And then we have an API that handles all of the transaction types and smart contract types so that you don't actually have to build the 
almost firmware level technology unique to the blockchain or unique to the smart contract specifically, you can sort of pick and choose which kind of transactions you want. So you can mint an NFT in one API call and you can send it to your end users in one or two API calls. And so this is a very simplified process to where you want to spin up an, an automatic market maker on a DeFi, like HumbleSwap, for example, an Algorand or a Uniswap version on Ethereum. You can do that with DropChain and you don't need to know the technological challenge associated with, you know, how does an AMM work, right? Nobody actually knows that unless you're a nerd like me who, you know, digs into the code. And the hope is that we can be the nerds and then our builders can build the stuff, right? Focus on the product. And sort of on the flip side too, end users are looking for something that's easy to adopt and that provides value. And so if we required... Uh, people who downloaded and started using Instagram to save a 24 word key phrase. And if they lost it, they lost access to all of their pictures and all their, you know, uh, followers and, and comments and everything forever. And you can't recover it, by the way. Sorry. Uh, no, no email recovery. They're just, they, can't, they won't use it. And so in the same way, we do a, a, a slow experience and in, uh, in, in exposure into what is Web3. And so we, we start with a custody, we custody our users' accounts. And then as they start to learn and as they start to want to custody their own wallets, they can do that. And so it's a really uh, secure and, and safe sandbox experience for these end users. And kind of, we kind of feel without that, um, you know, the, the average person will never adopt Web3 because they're going to be too scared, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Nate, anything to add or not? No, I think he covered it. I cool. mean, as as we mentioned, that's that's the goal. Just make it yeah. easy, as easy as possible for everybody. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing, you know, you mentioned tools like Wix and Bubble. And I've, I've used both, you know, Wix is, you know, I use Wix quite a lot for a few different things I'm working on. And it, it's so easy to, you know, rapidly prototype a new idea, a new design, you know, a new, you know, color palette, you know, whatever you want. But yeah, nothing actually exists like that for, for Web3. You know, when I've looked at stuff, you know, any any sort of guide, it's, you know, oh, you need to have your own node set up. You need to, you know, add the URL and, you know, the port number. And for most people, that will just go over their heads. It went over my head the first time. I'm pretty sure I just OF4'd out of my VS code. And I said, yeah, I can't be bored. And then I came back like two weeks later to actually sit down and, and figure it out. But it is mm -hmm. it is a massive a massive pain to actually you know get to that point where you can start interacting and interfacing with with the actual blockchain, mm -hmm. and yeah, as you mentioned, you know if you can mint a, mint an NFT in in one line, you know something that people can literally copy and paste into their to their web page application that will embed, you know, that that service. Then I think you have you know a, a really really strong use case because it abstracts away all of the hard parts that people don't want to do completely agree yeah. yeah i mean that's something that we like to say most of web3 is not entirely decentralized right now uh you know when when infura a node infrastructure provider for ethereum goes down and 70 for 70 of transaction volume fails to may be maintained during that time uh you know that's not decentralized and mm -hmm. in the same way, you know, we're providing node infrastructure, we're providing these smart contracts. It's not decentralized, but we don't claim to be. And we're also giving the benefits of some some degree of centralization. You know, we're a Delaware C Corp incorporated company. We, you know, we we are trying to make tools that make it easy to eventually make decentralized applications. Um, and, we, you know, the, these steps 
come incrementally. And I think that's that's uh, that that would hopefully make it significantly easier for you to build a, a Web3 application that doesn't require you to even open up VS Code, mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's something like, uh, you know, plugging in, you know, in a, an API endpoint, sending a post request, and that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's basically mm -hmm. our a whole, a whole setup here. So yeah, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you're a big, you know, uh, ambassador for, for, for decentralization, you run your own nodes, but at the same time, you know, you mentioned that blockchain doesn't claim to be decentralized. And I think that's like a really important distinction to be made because you don't need to be decentralized to push for decentralized uh, aspects, whether that's self-custody, whether yep. that's, you know, implementing, you know, you're running your own nodes because you know, you can take any exchange, Coinbase, Binance, you know, they all, to an extent, promote self-custody, even though they themselves are, are centralized entities. And I guess that, you know, comes down to each individual project to, you know, help educate their users of, of the, the benefits and, you know, the, the risks of both self-custody and uh, uh, custodial services and for them to make that informed decision, you know, d themselves, because, you know, once I started getting into crypto, I was like, yep, self-custody is the only way for me. It's it's different to what I've done before, you know, storing this 24, 25 word, you know, phrase isn't new to me. I've not had to write down my passwords, you know, on a piece of paper anywhere, you know, whatever. Because, you know, now we use password managers and, and all these other tools that it was such a foreign concept to me. But it was through, mm -hmm. again, education, watching videos, reading guides that actually drove me towards that. And I think a lot of people will, will share the same sentiment. Another thing to add on to there too, I mean, in the, the decentralization purists and the crypto purists don't like us when we talk about it, but I honestly feel like this is kind of a silent majority of Web3 users that understand that the perfect cannot be the enemy of the good. And that if we want to create this decentralized future of decentralized ownership and owning these networks, that we are going to need to make some concessions to make that happen. Um, and true decentralization will never happen if you still only have, you know, 2% of the population participating in it. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't make any sense. You need to get people onto the Web3 applications first and foremost um, and then we can worry about decentralization um, over time. Again, I think as as a developer, uh, whether you have you know built an entire app using JavaScript, Python, Flutter, whatever, um, or if you are non-technical and you just build an app in Bubble or Wix or anything like that, Dropchain can be layered on top of that. So you take your Web2 application, you sprinkle some of this Dropchain magic on top of it um, and it gives it all of the web3 functionality that you might need like nft minting asset transfers um, things like that um, and for developers that is very likely all they're really going to care about um, they want to build a web3 application but they look at all of the steps of okay i'm gonna have to learn solidity i'm gonna have to run my own node i'm gonna have to worry about tokenomics security all of these things and they just throw up their hands and give up that, in my opinion, is why we have not seen a transformational shift towards Web3 applications. Why? There's just not enough volume and work being done in the space for a Facebook to emerge. Um, you need to make it easy for developers to iterate on ideas quickly um, and create useful products and also make it accessible to users so you can get to a Facebook-like status of, you know, onboarding a billion users. Um, that just hasn't happened yet.
Yeah, no, I think what you just said is kind of hits all the nails on the head where, you know, you, you, you can't have everyone jump straight to self-custody. That's never going to happen. You know, we live in a world where everything is is custodied for us, you know, like our bank accounts. You know, if if you forget, you know, the password to your bank account, you know, you, you just call them up, you give them some information, boom, you know, it, it's back. Um, you know, and all other services that, that we, we rely on are all, you know, custodial. So, you know, the idea of self-custody is completely foreign to people. And as you said, if we don't make those 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 small steps towards, you know, decentralization or self-custody, we'll never actually get there. Because because reasonably enough people are are scared of the risks of, you know, web web free, whether that's losing your own keys and, and whatnot. That yeah, you need to to slowly build that confidence and build that that trust for people before they they decide to, to do it themselves. Um, so I I will this this raised the question. So, you know, you you mentioned for example, you will be able to you know mint NFTs with you know like one or two API calls. There's a lot of functions that you can do on Web three, and there's a lot of different applications. So, how will it work in the case where I would imagine something that's quite uh, quite ag ag agnostic, such as NFTs, which, you know, has a series of, you know, parameters that you need to populate, you know, uh, you know, the mint size, the, the URL, the trait, um, all, all of those can are what I would call like a default function of, you know, whichever blockchain you're using. But then if you want to use something like an, an AMM for a swap, Mm -hmm. Are you guys, you know, going to build your own AMM? Are you going to work with projects to integrate, you know, some of their, their smart contracts into, you know, a, a single API call or how's that going to work? Yeah. So from the developer perspective, it's going to be a, a series of API calls that, that you use to um, spin up new contracts. So for example, if you want to create an AMM where you're pairing two tokens together and allowing anyone anywhere to come to this AMM, swap one for the other, then you, you do something like a deploy contract call where it would deploy a contract and then it would give you in a, some sort of contract ID or address that we use IDs to sort of make it more intuitive instead of a long string of letters, letters and numbers. It's more of a like a like an asset ID on Algorand where it's a series of numbers. You have a contract ID as well, and so these contracts can be used in conjunction with something like um, uh, swap asset A for B within a contract within an AMM. You would include that within one of the parameters for this second call, and then you would include information about what you're trying to swap. And so in that case, it would be, you know, two contracts or two, two API calls, one to deploy and one to use. Um, from a backend perspective, how we would be doing this is most of our contracts right now look like they're going to be based out on, based out and built out on reach. And so reach is a big Algorand based, but it's also EV or an EVM compatible um, smart contract language where we use reach to compile and customize these contracts based off of desirable, um, you know, desirable traits based off, you know, whatever the developer wants. And then we would compile and deploy it onto our, um, this is probably a good point to discuss our layer two network, which is right on top of Ethereum and Algorand and all these other layer one networks where um, we are blockchain agnostic, but we're built on Algorand first and we're servicing Algorand first. Um, and essentially, uh, we allow anything Algorand compatible built on Algorand to be deployed onto our blockchain network. And this 
independent, you call it a co-chain, except co-chains aren't technically out. Um, but as far as I'm aware, we're one of the oldest co-chains in, in the quote unquote version of what, what can be made private networks out there. Um, cause we've been running since March of last year or of 2022. Um, and, and up until this point, we've been just testing things and iterating and improving that developer experience to where, you know, we have our own chain that can serve as a safe sandbox, both for developers who are working on the first decentralized or, or whether web three applications, as well as for end users who may mess up and may send a, a token to the wrong address. And they were like, well, shoot, I have no options. How can I figure this out? Conventionally speaking, you don't have any recourse on web two or, or, or sorry, layer ones. Um, like Algorand or, or Ethereum, with what we have set up, we can spin up a new version of the chain, update your holdings, and then uh, essentially seamlessly fix some of the issues that come on with that. So if there's any challenges, someone sends assets to the wrong address or, or you know, messes up and, you know, screws up a contract and it breaks their app, we can just roll back a chain and, and fix that uh, every so often. So we have a lot more flexibility uh, than, than conventional um, layer ones or even layer twos like Polygon would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's quite an, an, an interesting concept. Um, that you know you can you can deploy these these small contracts onto your own code chain, um, and you know use that as you know a sandbox or even yeah just a testing environment. Um, I think that's quite a cool concept, and I, I've not really really heard of anything like that before. Uh, I've not really looked into code chains a lot myself, but I think there's there's definitely you know some sort of use cases for that. You, yeah. You, you mentioned that you're building on Algorand initially. Um, so so why Algorand? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a couple reasons, right? So we're, we're based on Algorand because we both, Nate and I, came from Algorand with our previous, previous uh, uh, project. Um, but it's also, you know, the handful of the reasons why we didn't start on Ethereum to begin with, right? So paying gas is, is absurd with the prices that they have. Um, Ethereum's optimized for decentralization, which is an interesting point, all things considered, with their move to proof of stake and whatnot. Um, but regardless, Algorand is significantly faster settlement times, significantly cheaper, um, and generally the technology is superior. So if I'm looking for a smart contract blockchain, um, you know something like the Algorand ecosystem and the Algorand network is, is is superior. And I guess Nate, you can kind of hit on some other points as well if you had anything. But yeah, I mean. We chose to build on Algorand for, I think, the reasons why most or a lot most people building on Algorand have chosen to build on the blockchain. Um, it's a small place. It's a it's a small community, which is also the perfect te- testing grounds for a new startup. Obviously, our goal is to make this thing as big as possible and you know reach as many people as possible. Um, and Algorand is just kind of the perfect testing grounds to that. The community is fantastic. We've had nothing but great experiences with getting feedback, um, both on our messaging as well as the technology that we've built. Um, a, a big reason for me is also the the carbon negative factor. If I am anything, if I am a one issue voter on anything, it is environmental stuff. Um, and that's a, that's a big reason for me. So it's a pretty uncreative answer, but I think it's the reason why all of us chose to be part of this community. Yeah, no, I, I, I asked, you know, all the Algorand builders why they, they chose Algorand and, you know, I think you guys both answered, you know, the, the, the main reasons, right. Is, you know, the, the carbon, carbon neutral, carbon negative is, is a big factor for, for most. And the fact that it's, you know, cheap and fast, which means that you can just prototype so much more quickly without worrying about gas fees and whatnot, 
and you can you can deploy it to like mainnet right and you can easily you know fix things if it if they break and you know you can get people actually testing your application you know straight away and people are more than willing to to test it for you because you know gas fees are practically like non-existent people are like yeah sure you know i'll I'll spend you know 15 20 minutes half an hour using using your app to 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 you know give you guys some feedback and you know what you said the community is is you know relatively small compared to a lot of chains but i think that's probably like the, the hidden superpower is you get to know people you know you you see names on on twitter you're like yeah i know this guy i've spoke to him i've seen him on this space or that space and everyone actually feels like they they actually want to give you a hand mm-hmm. well while we're, while we're talking about the community one thing that we haven't mentioned um is a community library that we're actually thinking about pushing out um into probably later on this year early in 2024 um, but just to give you a little bit of a taste on what the community library will look like is we basically want to make a peer-to-peer marketplace of smart contracts where if you're a Web3 developer and you know how to build smart contracts like Carter does, then you can basically add to our library, the drop chain library, and Web2 natives, people who don't know how to build smart contracts, can go and access those as API endpoints and plug them into their app. So the benefit for Web3 developers within the Algorand community is if you know how to code, great. You can monetize your code and that will be awesome. And we in the community will be so happy that you uh, contributed to the library. Uh, Web2 developers, on the other hand, will be able to build entire applications like Lego bricks where they're not going to have to know anything about development. And they'll be able to just pick and choose which smart contracts they need to implement into their application and build a whole uh, Web3 application from it. So that is something that the community can look forward to um, probably towards the end of this year and, and pushing into 2024. Yeah, and, and to reiterate on that, you know, I heard Nate say monetize your code, but like this literally means that Web3 builders, because they possess a unique skill of being able to create smart contracts, can essentially take these modular smart contracts and monetize them. They will get paid eventually in a maybe a token, maybe algo, maybe USDC um, or, or cash because we do fiat on wrapping as well. Um, that's an interesting point we could probably hit on after this. Um, we literally will pay you for your smart contracts because there's Web2 devs that would be uh, more than willing to pay us for them. And so we just sort of pass that on to you. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess that's quite cool. You know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, smart contracts as a service, you know, in, mm-hmm. the, in, in a way yeah. where, you know, you, you pay for, for what you're using, you know, you, you pay, you know, per call. And I think that's, you know, a, a model that people are, are used to, you know, especially in, in Web2, you know, most people are using cloud services and cloud services are, you know, pay as you go. So if you were to introduce that, you know, it could be, you know, the first X calls for this smart contract are perhaps free for you to, you know, play around, understand how it works. And then once you go, you know, you, you pay as you use it. And I think that's that's probably the best way because people don't want to fork out money, up, uh, you know, upfront for someone to write them smart contracts for a project they're not sure if, you know, if it's even going to work. But this way people can, you know, create a create a project, you know, deploy it, you know, have people use it. And if it works, they, they you know, they pay, pay the developer, you know, if it doesn't, then they don't. So it's sort of like... Mm-hmm a win-win for, for both situations where, where developers get a lot more exposure without being tied down to necessarily one project at a time. They they can make, you know, a suite of smart contracts that are perhaps all all work together 
you know, it could be like a build your own decks, you know, and there's like 20, 20, 30 smart contracts in there that someone can use to actually just make their own decks with their own, you know, branding or whatever. Um, you know, they, they can set their own, own, you know, fees and they can go ahead and make it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. They haven't really, you know, lost out on, on anything, at least in, in, in the monetary sense. So, oh, hundred percent. I think that's something too that we would like to hit on as well is is using or creating a dropshipping account and starting to build and test right on a testing front. So, you know, I have an idea. I want to see maybe maybe this works. Maybe it doesn't. To make an account and to start trying out dropchain completely free. Mm-hmm. So right now you could make an account on dropchain.network, create an account for free in our beta program, and you have free access to 300 calls a month, which is basically all you would need to test. Um, and and you can start using, uh, you know, all of our endpoints um, to, to you know, leverage, you know, hey, I want to build a, an NFT marketplace. Okay, then uh, yeah, build it and test it out. And once you have it built out, you only pay when you start to scale. Uh, so it's, it's really flexible in that sense, where we allow you to, to you know, try it out. Uh, it's, it's freemium, so you don't have to worry about paying to start. Yeah, we're also very, very early on um, in terms of what we've built. And we are in our discord all the time talking to different people who are building with DropChain and they have questions or anything like that. So um, if you have any questions, we are extremely accessible. Uh, So feel free, join up in our discord. Um, uh, You can find it on the DropChain.network website, sign up there. Um, and start to play around with it, and it will be completely free forever um, until you're ready to launch and everything like that. So we'd love to see you in the Discord if you um, if you join us. Yeah, I, I think this this might be a good chance for you to guys to just plug any of your other social media, whether that's Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, please. Our, our Twitter is Dropchain API. Surprisingly, Dropchain is not a competitive keyword on Google. You would think it would be because mm-hmm. we picked out the name Dropchain as Drag and Drop Blockchain. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. So uh, you can either just Google Dropchain or go to Dropchain.network. There you're able to read up on all of our documentation. You're able to see what you can build uh, with the API. We have a page on there with all of our API endpoints listed. Um, From there, you can also get to our Twitter, our Discord, and all of the other socials that you might want to connect with us. Um, Connect with um, uh, us individually on Twitter. Um, I'm uh, Thorson underscore Nate, and Carter is C Razink on Twitter, and we'd love to connect with you individually. And to, uh, and together, um, and we're we're always down to have these conversations with people within the Algorand community and outside of it, of course. Carter, anything to add? Yeah, no, you, you Nate, you killed it. Uh, for my last name, it's so my Twitter is C R A Z I N K. It's kind of confusing, but I'm sure it'll be in the title yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, definitely check us out on Twitter. Join the Discord, even if you're not super interested, like you don't know what you want to build. Um, you know, there's a lot of templates. I built a, a fun play to earn game, rock paper scissors game, in 15 minutes. You're like, you know, I might, I might, might as well bring and you know, try to try to build something for fun. Um, definitely recommend you guys checking it out and. and and giving it to giving it a whirl. I know I kind of want to work on um, some of my own projects using this technology, and I kind of didn't realize how much simpler it would be now that I don't have to worry about any of the intricacies that go into it. Um, but yeah, no, definitely check it out. If you have any questions, you know, check us out at Discord. I mean, take take a look at the website and and uh, join our join our community. Love to have you. 
Cool. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll include all your details in the uh, description below for, for guys to, to check you out. Um, I'm a bit conscious of time. So guys, it, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for, for taking time out of your days to sit down and chat with me. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely catch up again soon. Cool. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having us.